good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad that you guys are here today to celebrate our risen Savior together as the family of God, aren't you? What a joy it is to come together and lift up praises to his name, our risen Savior, to dig into his word, to discover the blueprint for our life, how we're called to live, uh, to share life together, to encourage each other on the journey, and uh, just an exciting time every first day of the week to be uh, together, although we worship every single day of the week, do we not? Not just on Sunday, but this is a special time that we've all come together. I want to say a welcome to our guests that are here this morning. Thanks for joining us, being a part of uh, our assembly this morning. We hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. Uh, but uh, also we'd love to say, if you're looking for a church home, think about joining Crosspoint. To, tell us, to, tell, to join us rather and tell the story of Jesus Christ. That is the hope and the salvation that this world absolutely needs. He will change your world. He'll make all things new for you. And we want to spread that message to everybody who will possibly listen to that incredible message from God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks again for being here today. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12 this morning, so I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. Uh, we'll be there in just a moment. Our text will also be on the screen. Uh, we'll be looking into this third week of Graceland. What does it mean to experience the grace of God? How are we called to live in the grace of God? Of God, And if you'll remember the first week we were uh, in this idea, we talked about how each and every one of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. That no one is without sin. You're no better than me, I'm no better than you. We all need Jesus Christ, don't we? Every single one of us have uh, fallen short of what God's expectation is for his creation. But through Jesus Christ we're made perfect. We have his grace and mercy through his son Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and are made new in him. And last week we talked about because we've received the grace of God that we live a life of gratitude and graciousness to those around us, even those, yes, who have hurt us. And we don't want to minimalize how you've been hurt or what's happened to you in life, but we do know that we are a different people because of Jesus Christ, that we live differently than the world gives us the script to live. We live how Jesus has called us to live. We live by his script and try to imitate him in every way. This morning we're going to continue in this idea of grace uh, and talk about how grace abounds in our weaknesses when we don't have it all together. Because the fact is you and I know that each and every day we stub our toe, we drop the ball, we, we don't treat people how we should, uh, we, uh, we don't live up to the expectation that we give ourselves in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so how do we in those weak moments, in those moments where we don't get it all right, how do we live in the grace of of God when we don't have it all together. You and I are, are called to live differently than the world in which we live. And we sometimes try to measure up to the accomplishments that this world gives us, the kind of resume that we put together to kind of put a front on, a face, a mask, if you will, that we do have it all together, that we are perfect in some way. But Paul reminds us that we're not called to celebrate our, our saving through the accomplishments that we have in life. In fact, he's going to do just the opposite in our text this morning. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about the city where the church is located that Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians. I want to talk a little bit about the church in the town of Corinth, Greece. Now, it is an incredible city. By all... Uh, by all factors, it is the third city in the Roman Empire, meaning that Rome is the first city, Alexandria is the second city, and Corinth is the third city. 
It is a place where lots of merchants and wealth come together, lots of prosperity come together. It's located on an isthmus, which means it's like a land bridge between two land masses at the southern end of Greece. And Corinth is located in that land bridge. It controls trade. It has two harbors that it controls. There's a canal that goes between the two seas so that trade can happen from one side of the world pretty easily to the other side of the world. It is a place, a a melting pot, if you will. And for our visual, the best way I can describe it, if you can imagine L.A., New York City, and Las Vegas all being crammed together into one city, that's what Corinth looks like. And so the church, one church, not a church on every corner, the one church that Paul's established. It's the one that's trying to thrive in that type of environment. Now imagine a, a city where, where vice is everywhere. Every possible idea that you could have exists in the town of Corinth. It is a place of sexual deviation. There are lots of temple worship all over the city. Lots of different gods that are being worshipped. It is even said that the the temple to Aphrodite is located in Corinth, and in that temple alone are 1,000 temple prostitutes, and that's how you worship in that temple. I mean, every conceivable thing that could get you off track from your goal to live like Christ has called you to live exists in this particular town. Every type of issue. Now, interestingly... It's not just enough that the church exists in a town like this. Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and now we're going to talk about 2 Corinthians today. We do know that he wrote two other letters to the church in Corinth, which we don't have. But in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we have false teachers that have come into the church. And they are trying to pull them away from Paul's teaching and teach them a new and better way. And they're using their pedigree, their resume to do just that, to get the church to look their way instead of how Paul reminds them that we're called to live in Christ Jesus. They're winning people over from the church, and Paul is trying to combat that in 2 Corinthians as he also calls them to live the type of life that Jesus Christ has called them to live, not what the city offers to live. And so Paul is in a tight spot. Because if you know Paul, you know he's got pedigree as well. He's got a great resume. It's probably uh, way bigger than the false teachers that are actually in the church trying to get the church to do something different. And he could use his accomplishments to win the church back. But he knows that's not what Jesus Christ would want. He doesn't want this braggadocious type of atmosphere. Because Paul, what, what he wants the church to do and us today is to really delight in the weaknesses that we bring as we follow Jesus Christ. That way they can experience fully the power and the grace that God offers through his son Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, if you are perfect, if you've got it all together, you really don't need Jesus. And so Paul wants to remind us that in our weakness, that is when the story of Jesus Christ is so evident. When the power of God can be seen in your life, when everything comes into play. He's talking about their accomplishments and his in our text we'll get to in just a moment. But we at times rely on accomplishments as well to kind of show everyone that we've got it all together, don't we? I mean, in conversation, we may ask, where do you work? And from that one question, 
your answer could tell me a little bit, maybe a, a salary range that you might make, what your bank account may look like, where in town that you might live, and maybe how big your house is. If we talk about where we've been, pedigrees and degrees. What do you got hanging on your wall? What type of title is on your door? How many kids do you have? And what, what are they involved in in the community? And we begin to kind of put this resume together to show those around us how we've got it all together. And Paul is going to start off by giving them his strengths. And it's all going to be tongue-in-cheek. Paul's only doing this to get their attention, to get them to see it's really not about what you've done. He's going to talk about how he's qualified to be the guy to show them how Jesus has called us to live. If he tells them by starting off with his strengths, he'll get their attention. But he knows if I start off looking like a weak guy, talking about my weaknesses, well, of course, that's what a weak person would do. And so he wants to start off tongue-in-cheek talking about his particular strengths because he knows once he gets to where he wants them to be, they'll listen more carefully to how to make Jesus shine in their lives and our lives today. So let's begin in our text, chapter 11, verse 21. Paul says, I'm ashamed to say that I've been too weak to do that. Now, he's been talking about boasting. And so Paul is at the point where he's saying, I'm ashamed that we're even talking about this. He goes on to say, but whatever they dare, the false teachers dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. Paul wants them to see how ridiculous it is to kind of brag on how awesome a Christian you are or, or what you've got hanging on your wall at home that, that shows you've studied under whoever. Paul wants them to see that it's really not about what you've accomplished, but it's about what Jesus Christ has accomplished and how he will change your life for the better. He's doing all of this tongue-in-cheek. And the rest of chapter 11, he goes through and lists all the different things that he's been involved in as far as his journey with Christ. But then he moves to chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. Well, he just did it, didn't he? Uh, I will boast only about my weaknesses. Now, the Greek word there, when he's talking about being caught up to the third heaven, to to paradise, it's not that there are no human words to describe what that looked like, although it could be taken that way. What Paul is saying is literally he's not allowed to talk about it. For some reason, God has said, you can't tell that story. Don't, Don't brag about it. Don't let anyone know really about it. And it happened 14 years ago. Now, I don't know about you. But if you were back on earth and you had been caught up to the third heaven, to paradise, on the arm of God, wouldn't that be something to talk about? 
this is the first time we hear about it. I mean, it would be a great way to get people packed in the house, right? Come hear how Tim was caught up to the third heaven. How on the arm of God he entered the pearly gates. Why God chose me and not you. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go with that. But Paul doesn't introduce himself that way. Letter after letter that you see Paul write, he begins by saying, Paul, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. He knows what the story is all about. It's not about him. Because the truth is, no one cares about a servant or a slave. What they want to know is the resume of the master. Who is that person? How and why should I listen to them? And Paul says in our text this morning, all you really need to know is Jesus. You don't need to know pedigree. You don't need to know the resume. You don't need to know what all I've accomplished. All you really need to know is Jesus. And he continues in verse 7 and 8. He says, I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. So he's seen some things no one else has seen. He's done lots of things no other people have done. But he says God has allowed this thorn in the flesh to exist in my life. Now what is that thorn? No one really knows. But we do know that it is significant because Paul asked God three different times to please take this from me so that I can be a better servant of yours. And the Greek word there isn't that he asked God, it's that he begged God to please take this from me so that I can fulfill the mission on earth that you've sent me to do, so I can be a better Christian in this walk, so I can be a better person for you while I am here. Now, I don't know in your life what metaphor exists for you as that thorn. It could be any number of things. I don't know what your particular weakness is or your temptation, that thing that you've asked God to change for you, that thing that that you've asked God to heal in your life, that relationship that you've asked God to resolve the conflict so we can just get along the thing you've asked God to to take away from you so that you can live out a better story in your mind for the glory of God. Paul calls this thing a messenger of Satan. But in doing so, he recognizes that God does have the power over that particular thing. He's asked God to take it away. And God says, I'm going to leave it with you to keep you humble. Because again, if you don't need Jesus you're in trouble. Each and every one of us have those weaknesses where we're calling on the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to fulfill our life and to make our life as full as possible. Paul goes on in verses 9 and 10. He says, each time God said, my grace is all you need My power works best in weakness. Now, church, if you've got your own Bible with you, this is one of those verses that you want to underline, circle, asterisk, whatever calls attention to you, to this verse. Because, church, this is powerful. He says, my grace is all you need. 
not your strength, not your pedigree, not your resume, not the things that you've done, not how many times you've gone to church in your lifetime, how many times you've read through on the Bible. No, he says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. When we are not whole, God says, that's when my story comes alive. That's when the power of the Spirit is seen in your life. That's when Jesus Christ can be fully evident in every facet of who you are as you walk. He goes on, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, this should be an encouraging text for you and me this morning. Because each and every one of us, if we're honest, we know that we are weak. We know that we've dropped the ball. We know that I haven't fulfilled everything that I know that I'm called to do. But Paul reminds us that when we are weak, then we're strong. Because the grace of God enters our life, the power of God. And Paul reminds us that God says, my grace is all you need. My grace is truly all that you need. And Paul is so happy to go on and boast about his own weaknesses. Church, we've all got thorns in our life, things that we are dealing with in our life, things that have derailed us from telling the story, things that have dragged us down along the way, relationships, poor choices, temptation. We've all got things that we realize have got us kind of off the path, if you will. But we realize through Paul, that's where God gets the glory in my life. That's where he is seen by the world around us. You see, we, we end up not wanting to celebrate those weaknesses very well. We, we tend to run from those weaknesses. We tend to hide behind those masks and make everything look great and pretty. But, but through Paul's message today, what we understand is that God's grace is bigger than our weaknesses. Now, whatever is going on in your life, God's grace is bigger. Paul wants just to, to be up front and let us know about that. And the thorn that, that Paul is writing about here in the Greek, it's not some small, like a rosebush thorn. The word there can actually be translated spear or stake. It's something that will cause significant damage. For Paul, this isn't just an annoying itch that he can't really reach, but it is significant, and it's keeping him in his mind from being everything that he believes he's called to be in Christ Jesus. It's keeping him from fully experiencing the mission of God on this earth. And Paul is begging God, please take it from me so that I can be more effective for you. But God says, if you're weak, then I've got room to work. I can be seen in your life. Now, now what is this particular thorn? Again, we don't know exactly, but there has been some speculation. Some think that it was maybe sin in Paul's life, maybe a temptation that came back every now and then for him. The way it's worded, it seems like it probably is some kind of physical thing going on with Paul. Some think that maybe it was a deformity, uh, in his body. I mean, you read through the book of Acts and you see how many times that he was shipwrecked or stoned or beaten or beat up. He's probably looking pretty rough right now. 
Maybe it's a deformity in his life. Maybe some believe that it could be epileptic seizures. Others think that maybe his eyesight was failing him. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, we know that in all of his letters he had a scribe that Paul uh, spoke to and this scribe wrote everything down. But in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, see that I'm writing with my own hand. Look how big the letters are. Could be any number of things. We don't know specifically what it is. And why doesn't he point it out? It's because Paul doesn't want it to be about him. He wants to continue pointing toward Jesus Christ, but the metaphor is helpful for you and for me. Because whatever it is, we apply the space to God and let him work in that space where we have dropped the ball, where we have fallen down, where we show our weakness. You see, at the end of the day, what we realize is God's grace is bigger than our inabilities. Our our inability to do everything that we need to do to fulfill God's calling. Maybe you've been in one of those interviews before where they ask you that that trick question and you give them an answer. It's not quite what they're looking for, but you think maybe it fits in there. They ask you, "What what would you say is one of your weaknesses? And so you think through that and you think, okay, you give them an answer that might be a strength, but it looks like a weakness. Well, I'm I'm really just a workaholic. I mean, you give me a job, a project, I just won't let go of that thing until it's done in the bag, in the can. Like, man, hire that guy. We put confidence in ourselves rather than in the power of Jesus Christ. There's a really neat story in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have been arrested because they're they're preaching the gospel message in Jerusalem. And, And the the leaders, the religious leaders of the day, have arrested them and brought them in, demanding that they stop telling the gospel story. And as they interact with them, John and Peter have these great interactions. And in verse 13, it says those guys that had brought these two guys in noticed that they were unschooled and ordinary men, but had spent time with Jesus. I mean, they're looking at these two guys that are explaining the life of Jesus Christ, and they come to the conclusion, you know, these are guys just off the street. These are ordinary guys. These are fishermen. They didn't even go to school. And yet in their so-called weakness, God's story erupts. God's story is known. God is using that space that men would call weakness and letting his son shine out. Maybe you've seen this particular guy by the name of Jack or Nick uh, Vuzajic. He was born with no arms and no legs. Most of us might give up on life before we ever got started. But Nick is, he's a pastor. He's an encourager. And what the world would look at and say is a weakness he's using for the glory of God. He's not letting anything slow him down. He says, God, in this space where the world says that I'm really nothing, that I am weak, I'm going to let you do your work in me so that your story will be told. He has an incredible testimony. You can find it on YouTube. You see, the extent to which we are able to experience the power of God's grace is in direct proportion to the extent to which we recognize our own weaknesses. The power of 
of God's grace is in direct proportion to how we recognize our own weaknesses. So if you say, I'm really pretty perfect, God has little room to work in your life. But the minute you own that weakness, God says, my story will be told through you in lots of different ways. And one of those challenges is realizing that you do have a weakness. Maybe you are like me at times and don't like to admit those things and it creates a persona of pride and arrogance when within you it's really insecurity about who you are. I mean, I don't like to be vulnerable. I don't know anyone that really does. But God says, if you'll make yourself that way, then I will meet you there. And I will make you everything that you think you're not. I will make all things new in your life. See, truly, God's grace is bigger than our insecurities. The things that we, we are scared to talk about and reveal that we believe to be weakness God's grace is bigger than that. It's more than that. If you're like me, I don't like to say I need help. Man, I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, Call a friend. Make it 50-50. I don't know. Do something to get some help in here. I don't have it all together. We're, We're worried to say those particular things. But in moments that require me to say those words, I learn about grace. I learn what it means to be involved in the story of God and that he provides the strength I need in those moments. And maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking, you know, I, I need help with my anger. I, I, need, I need someone to help me with this chip I've got on my shoulder. I, I need help with my, with my marriage. I, I need help to better understand my teenage child and the rebellion that's happening at home. I, I need to understand what it means to to be faithful to God's body on earth, the church. I need, to, I need to know what it means to serve other people. Help me become humble. And it's in those moments of so-called weakness that God's power shines out. It's in those moments when we scream out to him and say, I don't know, I don't have it all together. It's in those moments that Jesus Christ shines within us. In high school, uh, I played football and really no other sport. Except my junior year, I decided to try out for the basketball team. I had zero, zero experience in basketball, except for in my driveway. That was terrible. But I remember I I showed up for the first day of practice, and I grabbed a ball like everyone else, started shooting, and all the guys that were already on the team from years past were on the side watching me and laughing because I had a terrible, I don't know what was going on there. It was not good. And I remember before the coach came out and officially started practice, I excused myself to the bathroom and I just left. I mean, how many of us would just rather not try than to have to ask for help? If you're anything like me, I'm in good company. But God says, ask me. Admit your weakness. Because it's in your weakness that I'm going to be the most evident, the most strong. My grace will be sufficient for you in that moment. Paul starts out this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed 
and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But look what he says. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely on God who raises the dead. Think about that. You and I serve a God who wants to walk and journey with us, even in our weakness, even in our sin, extend grace to us. I mean, church, you can't get much better than being able and powerful enough to raise the dead. Jesus Christ is Lord and King because he rules everything, and his grace is all sufficient. His power is seen in our weakness. And so it's a call this morning for you and I to drop the mask, to, to, to stop pretending that we have it all together and to beg and plead, God, come into my life. Let your story be seen. Let it be evident. Help me to be the person you've called me to be even in my weakness. God, I want your grace to just overwhelm me. I want your story to be seen in me. Make all things new in me. And so we ask God this morning that his grace truly would live within us that his son would be evident in our life. And as Paul said, who had a resume a mile long, it's not about that. That's garbage. Because my resume has one word, Jesus. And if we accept that resume in our lives as well, you and I will be everything that God's called us to be and more. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time and Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room as we sing this song. My guess is there's some of us in here who who are having a difficult time verbalizing that I need help, that I've got some weakness in my life. And as we sing this song, I want to invite you to visit with one of our shepherds and let them pray for you and over you, that you would overcome that, that bump that you've got in your life, the guilt that is weighing you down, because Jesus has already paid the price. He wants you in his life. He wants to shine through your life. And even in our weaknesses, that can happen. Paul's told us that. And so this morning is a call to do just that. Surrender everything to him, no matter where you might be, no matter where you've been, run back to him and let him just envelop your life and let his glorious grace shine in all you do and you say. Let's stand and sing together.